today we begin a series entitled The Hundredth Monkey Fallacy. And the hundredth monkey concept is a fascinating concept that's been around for a number of years. And this is the origin of it. In the 1970s, a guy named Lyle Watson, based upon research from science, uh, Japanese researchers on an island uh, in uh, the Japanese island chains, said this. He said that uh, monkeys on that island had begun to be taught a skill, and that skill was washing off sweet potatoes, yams, before they ate them. And they taught the youngest members of the monkey community this, and then slowly it spread. And it spread with the youngest first, and the older monkeys weren't really getting it, but the younger ones were. And so little at a time, it would spread. And then what Watson says is in 1958, something happened that was unpredictable and unexpected. And what it was was that he said at some number, he goes, he goes, details were sketchy, and we were later to discover the details weren't actually there. Details were sketchy, but at some number, let's say the hundredth monkey, the learned behavior simply spread by mass consciousness to all the monkeys. And he said there's a, a number where if you hit that, the consciousness spreads. And in fact, it was so powerful that it spread to other islands where the behavior had never been taught. Now, this concept, as odd as it may sound, was a phenomenon. And people began to use it everywhere, consultants and spiritual advisors and things like that. And what we've discovered is it's not true. It, it never happened. Others went back and thought, okay, this doesn't seem to be correct. This seems sort of odd. So they went back and they researched it. And what they discovered is nothing abnormal happened. In 1958, there was no unusual event. A little at a time, some more monkeys developed the behavior, and it never jumped telepathically to other islands. There was no quantum leap. What's been fascinating, though, is that some 30, 40 years later, it continues to persist. If you go on right now, if you went on and Googled 100th Monkey, you would find all sorts of organizations that use this at their title and as their platform. And one I was reading last week, as it uses as a motivational device, the hundredth monkey can be an ordinary person, not the most outstanding one in the community. The idea is that once an idea gains the acceptance and is practiced consciously by at least a hundred people, it seems to take on a life of its own and become disseminated broadly as if by quantum leaps. Now, today still being used by motivational speakers, that there is a magic, miraculous thing that happens that makes movements work almost outside of our control and outside of our power. But it's not true. And so Fast Company, the business magazine, asks this. Just one question remains. Will the myth of the hundredth monkey have to be debunked a hundred times before consultants suddenly and miraculously stop monkeying around with it? Why did it become so appealing when it's not true? Here's why I think. Humanity, you and I, have attention. Two poles within us that are very alive and very vital and right at the heart of who we are. And one of those poles is a, a desire for security and for comfort. And I don't mean this negatively in any way. We often sort of critique comfort as, oh, don't live just to be comfortable or convenience. There's a reason why we like comfort. Do you know why? It's comfortable. 
it, it feels good. There's a reason why we like security. And probably every one of you have experienced at some point in a relationship that place where you hit a, a point of peace and security, where you're no longer afraid of what's going to happen next. And that's, that's a powerful moment in a relationship and something to be, to be honored and sought after. We love comfort and we love security. And we love to find a place of peace, of balance in our lives. But if we sit in that pole for too long, boredom begins to happen or a sense of wondering what else is out there. It can become mundane because the other pole of humanity, in tension with this, a desire for experience and for exploration and for impact. As much as we like comfort and convenience in our life, there are none of us probably who want our tombstone to say, what was their life about? They were comfortable. We want another line there somewhere. And the way they lived made a difference in the world around them. There is this deep desire within us for impact. So why does the hundredth monkey fallacy persist? Because while we want impact and we want to see something quantum leap in terms of movement, we're not sure we want to give up the comfort and convenience that might be necessary to have that happen. This song by Frightened Rabbit illustrates that point pretty clearly. You see, there is no hundredth monkey. There's only actual people like you and me wading into the world around us and making choices about impact or not. At the end of Jesus' life, I'm, I'm going to read a passage to you from the end of his life, and it's in the Gospel of Matthew. And the Gospel of Matthew is one of the four accounts of Jesus' life. And right at the end is a statement he delivers to those who have been following him for the past three years. But I want to give you a little bit of, of setup to that. Here, I, I try to imagine what the disciples' life must have been look, was to look like. For three years, they experienced just this rush of highs and euphoria at things happening, which quite honestly, they probably never expected to have happen. They were just ordinary individuals going about their lives, and suddenly they were caught up and swept up in a movement that took the entire nation by storm, and they had things happen they, they couldn't have expected. They lived in a country where the religious rules seemed to be oppressive and where the government was harsh and tyrannical, and yet now they're with this follower who's saying things to the religious and political leaders that they always wanted to say but never had the courage to say, and somehow he would say them and get away with it and walk on, and it made them rock stars. They walked into village after village, city after city, and people flocked to them. They were of movement, a movement unlike had been seen in that nation for years, for decades, for centuries. And then he dies, which seems to be a problem for the movement. But then he rises. And when he rises, he gathers them together. And can you imagine the flux of emotions they feel now? And he says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take off again. And then he offers them this command. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He gives them a rather significant command and task. He says to them, this is what I want you to do. Okay, you followed me, right? It's been good. What I'd like you to do now is I'd like you to go make disciples, well, of everyone. 
I'd like you to go into the entire world and have people start to follow me. And I can imagine someone going, okay, Jesus, this seems a little big. Could we sort of shrink this down? How about make disciples of everybody in your street? That actually seems big. Could we bring that back a little bit? Make disciples of one person on your street. That seems like a good task. In other words, can I swim 50 meters? And he says, no, swim until you can't see land. I want you to launch out in an endeavor that is noble and majestic and far beyond you can imagine on your own. I want you to go into the world and teach people everywhere to follow me. Now, kind of the amazing thing, which is a bit of an aside, is it actually happened. Because here's you and I, many of whom are followers of Jesus, in a nation far removed from that nation, thousands of years later, who are followers of Jesus. So, that's the command he gives them. A command to make a mark in the world that way. Now, quite honestly, this raises all sorts of questions for me. One of them is this. In a, a time and in a culture, and with a sort of a sentiment we have within us of letting other people believe what they believe, let bygones be bygones, you know? You have your opinion, I have my opinion, and that, that should be fine. Well, then we get this sort of heavy, go and make, we don't like the word make for one thing, go make disciples. Get other people to follow me. And there's a big part of us that thinks, that doesn't seem right. Shouldn't I just hold what I believe to myself and let other people believe what they want? I mean, who am I to offer my opinion about what people should believe or do or to think? Well, the quick short answer to that is, we do that all the time. Really, our life and our communication is a process of trying to influence other people on big things and on small things. Last week I was in Milan. And I tell you that because I like to say I was in Milan. I was in Milan, Italy. And before I went, I went to the Bank of America because in Italy, they don't use six-digit PIN codes. They use four. And so I was getting my PIN code changed. And so the guy at the Bank of America asked me, why are you getting your PIN code changed? And I said, because I'm going to Milan, Italy. And he said, here's my one piece of advice for you. Now, I had not asked him for advice. Here's my one piece of advice to you. Okay, this is going to be big. Write this down. Eat gelato every day. And so I did. I ate gelato every day. It was a brilliant piece of advice. But you know what? He's just given me, a, he's, he's given me a, a bit of his opinion. He had been in Milan a couple of years ago, and he had gelato once, and then on that, he decided, I'm going to eat gelato every day because I'll regret it if I don't. And so I took his, his advice. Now, I could have rejected it, I could have eaten gelato every other day. I took his advice, and I ate gelato every day. I promise you, I did not think as he said that to me, who is he to be telling me to eat gelato every day? I mean, how dare he offer his opinion about what I ought to think and what I ought to do? It is the most normal thing in the world for us to do that. Now, if I had rejected it, he would not have been offended. He would not have, you know, it wouldn't have done anything bad, and he would not have pressed the point. However... We often press the point on other things. If you are passionate about childhood homelessness and you're talking to someone about it and they disagree with you, you might press the point a little bit because you actually think it's important and you want them to consider that opinion. And what Jesus says is, <coughs> there's something important here. 
that I want you to give yourself toward. And this is how you'll make in the mark in the world. Why is that so? He, he could have offered any number of other things. This is his last word to his disciples. Do this. Why? I think there's really two reasons. And one is that our investment in the world around us only matters to the extent that it impacts individual people. In the end, people are what matter. The lives, the souls, the well-being, the joy, the happiness, the success, the vitality. Individual people's lives are all, in the end, that matters. And the more we live, the more we know that. And then second, what Jesus says is that if you make disciples, you will change people's lives forever. Because the core of the gospel, the core of the story of the Bible is this, that God created humanity for himself, that our hearts were made for him. And apart from establishing that connection, we will experience a void in our lives that quite honestly, nothing else can replace. And so he looks at these disciples who've experienced something real, and he says, look, you experienced something, right? This has been good. Your relationship, your following with me has changed your life. Now, go tell other people about it. Okay, you realize what we've now ventured into? We've ventured into the E word. We're now talking about evangelism. And there's something about that that can sort of make us squirrely. When I first became a Christian, which was a long time ago, I became a Christian in high school, and I became a Christian in a place where it, w- it wasn't real popular. It wasn't like the South where, you know, people put their membership somewhere in a church. Like, it, it's sort of like you feel like you ought to be, at least say you're a Christian or go to church or something. Not so in, in upstate New York. This was, this was not a real popular position to hold. And so what had happened, though, is when I became a Christian, there were some significant lifestyle changes. Some of you, when you became followers of Christ, there might not have been as significant of changes. It, it may have been more of an internal perspective that changed. For me, there were some outward things that I realized, okay, this is probably going to have to stop. And so some things changed radically. And people noticed that. And they began commenting on it. And, and quite honestly, most of the time they commented on it at um, parties where people were in an altered state of consciousness, shall we say. And over and over again, people would come up to me and they'd go, you know, you're, that's me being drunk, by the way. Oh, you're changed now, and what happened in your life? And so sort of on the spot, I'd, I'd begin to tell them. Well, you know, I, I've come to believe that there's a God out there who loves us, and he's given me a relationship with him, and so I, I just, I don't know, I'm not that interested in that anymore. Lots of conversations with very drunk people. Now, I'll tell you, in those early days of being a Christian, I, I talked to a lot of people about Jesus because they kept asking me, and some of them went well, and some of them went rather poorly. And quite honestly, I was pretty bad at talking about it, and I got worse. In the next few years, I got worse because I began to contrive situations. I looked at this passage, you know, because people show you this passage real early if you become a Christian. Therefore, go make disciples. And I looked at this passage, I was like, okay, I got to go make disciples. And so I would sort of contrive it. Now, it's not as bad as this, but it's sort of like somebody saying, you know, it's a sunny day. Well, let me tell you about the Son of God. It wasn't that bad. (laughs) 
but I started to contrive things to talk to people, and it was like, you know, non sequitur, bringing things out of left field. That really wasn't particularly winsome and effective. And, and maybe you, I'm, I'm speaking now to you only if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you, you think, okay, I, I get this whole idea that uh, people are what matter, with you there. People's lives experience fulfill- really twice in one morning, that's unusual. People's <laughs> hearts and souls coming alive, developing the relationship God they were made for, that's, that's really good, but I don't really want to do it. Because if I talk to people, it's going to be awkward, and they're going to feel like I'm just pressing something on them. Here's my simple piece of advice. Write this down. Don't press it on them. It should be the most normal thing in the world. We walk and we live our lives, and the passage actually, in Greek, how often do I say that? The passage in Greek says, it really doesn't say go, it says in your going. In other words, as you walk along the way, as you live your life, present to people what you've experienced. If you've experienced something that's changed you in your going, as you deal with people, talk to them. One of the places in in recent years where I've had the most natural and and open discussions with people about my uh, relationship with Jesus has been at at teaching at, at universities. And It's been fascinating there. As I teach, somewhere along the way, students realize that I got another gig. And my other gig is that I'm a pastor of a church. And I can tell early on, it's like, "Mm?" you know, didn't didn't see that one coming. But inevitably, every semester, I'll have one or two or five or sometimes more than that students want to engage me. And and it's anywhere from, you're a pastor, right? And, 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 you know, they can't see the picture. They don't see the hair and... It doesn't seem to fit, and I never yell at them, and that doesn't seem appropriate from what their caricature is to people who really want to understand. So you have a PhD in communication, and you understand the nature of meaning and, and language at, at you know, some level, and, and yet you still believe this whole thing about a God and the Bible? I do. I do. I, I had a, a long conversation last week with a student who just... He sat there and waited after class and he, and he just wanted to talk to me some about philosophy and about Christianity. And, uh, you know, I, I promise you, I did not press hard on him. I was not trying to manipulate his opinion. He's a very bright kid. I was just talking to him. Out of the reality of what changed in my life and my deep belief that people were made for God. And, and if I can help them to discover that, it will change their life forever for their individual moments, for their relationships, for the moments of sadness, and for the moments of success. And so, I just talk to them. What our culture has seen too little of is people who follow Jesus and treat those who don't with respect and dignity. Who are not beating them over the head, who are not writing them off, but are walking alongside them. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I I say this periodically at Warehouse, my agenda, I have no hidden agenda. I have an actual agenda that I now show you. My agenda, my desire for you, is that you would become a follower of Jesus. I would like that for you. Why? I'm not creating some sort of mind cult 
It's not some great desire of mine to get, uh, you know, a certain number of people who believe the same way that I do. I, I honestly think that you were made for God and God for you and Jesus died to forgive you and you can have a relationship with him that will change your life. And so that's what I'd love for you. I mean, why would I not? The guy who goes to Milan has gelato. He says, you need to eat the gelato. I am thankful for him, to him for that. He had experienced something that was good. He wanted me to. Well, how much more if we've experienced a relationship with God that's changed our life, how much more would we not want those who haven't to know that? And so if you have not experienced that, that's my goal for you. And I would talk with you and debate with you and you may disagree with me and I with you and, and we'll go on being friends. The world has not seen enough of people who follow Jesus who treat them with respect and dignity and love. But the truth is, you and I know if you're a follower of Jesus that walking into those conversations feels like we're swimming till we can't see land. What's going to happen when I enter into conversation about Jesus? This is where the teaching of Jesus here, I, I find just incredible strength in. He brings together the poles, which one of the things I loved when I first became a Christian, I saw, I saw the, the tensions that Jesus seemed to navigate between that he held. Like, like Bono has said, he took both poles and held them. And here he took the pole of adventure, go and make disciples of all the nations. And then he says, though, but remember, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. What does that mean? That means in your going, as you're walking through life, Jesus is in the midst of that, and he's actually pursuing your friends. He's actually reaching out to them. The Spirit of God, as much as he desired you to know him, desires them to know him. And so he's actually moving. And he's within you, giving you wisdom, helping you speak with grace and honesty and love and care to others. And he is the one, in the end, who's drawing people to himself. But he's told you and I to, to go. And as we do, disciples will be made. So, here you are. You're at Warehouse for any number of reasons, and some of you are here because you're giving church one last shot. And you're not sure what you believe or what it's about. I, I will tell you, pulling no punches, that what God wants for you is he wants you in a relationship with him through Jesus. He wants you to experience the love that he has for you. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to be baptized, which means you kneel before him and say, God, I want your love poured out upon me. And I want to rise as somebody who lives with you. He wants you to learn what it looks like to live a way of wisdom and of joy and power. That's what he has for you. And if you are someone who's a follower of Jesus, this is my charge to every one of us. We are a community who's been given a great gift, a relationship with God. And in the midst of the world around us, this command still goes. Where will impact be found? How do we leave a mark in the world? It's when we weigh into individual people's lives with our life, with the content and the truth of what God has done in our life, and we speak to them in such a way that their worlds are changed fundamentally. That their hearts come alive, that their souls become free of what has bound them. They see a picture 
of who God always made them to be. Let's pray. Our Father, would you lead us to experience at a greater depth your call for our life? We, we know those tensions too well of a desire for impact and a desire for comfort. Would you bring those together in our hearts and minds today so that we know with assurance that you are with us, giving us power and wisdom and strength and comfort. But you call us to set out from the shore, to launch into conversations, to lean into relationships, to care when it's hard, and to believe that you can do something far beyond we could have imagined. There is no hundredth monkey. There's just us before you, God. Give us wisdom and strength to move into the world with impact. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.